Amen. Praise the Lord. Good to see everybody in the house of the Lord. Are you glad to be here this morning? Well, there's a few that's glad to be here. Are you glad to be here this morning? Hallelujah. We're in the spirit. We're to enter into the sanctuary with gladness, not sadness. Amen. It's such a privilege to be here this morning. And I, um, I'm, I'm promoting Real Men's Rally up here this morning. So we want you to, uh, I, as a pastor, I want to tell you it's vitally important that every man be here. We're just going to have a blowout with the Lord. And I know that God's going to do some great and marvelous things. But this morning, I want to talk to you on a topic just for a little bit on the peace in the midst of problems. If there's ever a time that we need peace in our world, it is right now. How many can say amen to that? But one of the things that we need to get established right off the bat, and that is this, that problems are a relevant factor to the lives of all people regardless of their spiritual status. It doesn't matter what kind of spiritual plateau that we're on. It doesn't matter how spiritually that we get. We're all going to face what we call problems and difficulties of life. There's no such thing as getting to a level a level of maturity to where problems do not exist. As a matter of fact, maturity cannot happen outside of problems. The more mature that you become, the more problems that you're going to deal with. And everybody says, well, that's really encouraging. Well, it really is because you cannot mature without being challenged by problems and the more that God can trust you with problems, the more mature that you can become. Isn't that powerful? How many want to mature in God? Say amen. If you want to mature in God, then get ready. You're going to face some difficulties and you're going to face some problems because there's what there are what propels you into your destiny. Anyone can, anyone can be mature and keep a proper attitude and maintain a life of self-control when there seems to be no problems, when life is easy, when life is good, when it's not challenging. But how many knows that if you're never challenged, you never excel? If you're never challenged, you never push to something different. If you're never challenged, you never really want to change. And anybody can keep a proper attitude in an atmosphere like that. It's easy to believe God and have all kinds of faith and spreak gate things when everything's going good, but how about when your world falls apart? Are you still able to pray in a positive attitude? Are you still able to believe? Are you still able to be able to speak the things that, that are contrary to the circumstances that you're faced with. As a matter of fact, I want your problems is, is to make us face where the rubber really meets the road. It's an indicator and a revelator of who and what we are. Because I want to tell you, a lot of times I can't see myself outside of the problem that sits and mocks me and ridicules me. And when everything's going good, I have a tendency to slack off. Isn't that what Israel did? Every time they had good times, they backslid. Every time they have bad times they ran to God and that's how it is in the church world sometimes sometimes what you think is a curse to your life is actually a blessing to your life what you think is coming as something that is thrown to come against you, it's actually something that's thrown together to build you. And God's not interested that much in just loving only on you. He loves you, but he wants to build you. He wants to build your character. He wants to build you up in the most holy faith. He wants to make you a man of God, a giant of God. He wants you to make a lady of grace. Come on, somebody. Any 
anybody in the house with me here today. Are we still going to maintain a proper attitude and are we going to still be faithful to God in, uh, in our ministries and in our lifestyle and the manner in which we live uh, when things fall apart? Or are we going to allow the problems dictate to us our behavior and our obedience to Christ? Problems is what tests us. It reveals to us our level of maturity in the first place. And according to our text in verse 5, listen to what Paul said. He said, we are to let our moderation, and that word moderation is a Greek word that means our manner of life. He said, you are to uh, let your manner of life be known always to all men that the Lord is at hand in your life. In other words, when people look at you, your life is always to be a constant witness and a constant, uh, a, a constant revelation of who Jesus Christ is. We are the epistles that people are to read. We are the light of the world. Can I have an amen? And when dark times come to me, my behavior is to be no different in those times than when life is going good. And so therefore, God, God begins to get more glory out of our lives when we're going through the deep, dark, despair moments of life. But yet people look at us and say, look, what a man of God. My attitude's not changed. My countenance is not fallen. I'm not falling apart. I'm still holding true. But yet all of these things are going wrong. I hear people all the time, I wish I had the life of so-and-so. They got it so easy. You may think they got it easy, but I want to tell you, people that are constantly, continually revealing the presence of God through their life, they're probably going through more hell than what you ever even thought because it's those very moments that they've been pushed and propelled and challenged and they have learned how to keep a proper attitude during the midst of problems. And I'm here to tell you that God's about to explode this place. I've been... <laughs> Woo! God is about to explode the palace of praise. But let me tell you, everybody looks at that in a different way. That means, oh my, God's fixing the poorest spirit, and he is. But you know what is going to cause the spirit to be poured out like that? Problems. Come on, somebody. It is the problems that's going to push us into what we You're not going to do anything different if you don't have a problem that challenges you and pushes you to get you out of where you're at. We get so caught up in our comfort zones and we get so caught up in our traditions and our routines and all of that kind of stuff. And sometimes God's got to come by and stir our nest and he's got to allow a problem to be developed in order to get us to, get, get us to where he wants us to be. Problems is what causes us to mature. Nothing's perfected without being tested. You know, one of the things I have learned in my marriage is, is that over all these years of all the scrapping and the fighting and the fussing, oh, we've had those kinds of things. God has revealed to us, uh, Jenny's 90% wrong and my 10% wrong. You caught it. That's a lie. I want you to know that. A dawn, a right out lie, amen. But the truth of the matter is that our marriage has not become what it has come without it being tested and it's still being tested. You, you know, here we are, we've been married for a long time and, uh, and quite a while and uh, going on 40 years, 
And I want you to understand that every day is still a challenge. Every day we choose to love each other. Every day we find ourselves still working on that marriage. And the same way it is in my faith. I love that first moment when I got saved. But I want to tell you, there's been a lot of toils and snares I've already overcome. I want to tell you, but it's grace that saved me and it's going to be grace that carries me on. I'm not there yet, but I am pressing toward the mark of the high calling in Christ. Christ Jesus, I'm not giving up. I'm not backing down. I, I've gone too far to stop now, folks. I've gone too far to let something come by and trip me up. or to some, I've gone too far to allow some kind of a circumstance rob me of my faith and my victory and my joy and my peace. I'm here to tell you, come hell or high water, this pastor has come to stand his ground and say, I declare the peace of God in the midst of difficulty. Can I have an amen? Ah, oh, stand to your feet and give God praise if you believe in the peace of God. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. I just feel like the Holy Ghost is about to take over. Hallelujah. Oh, but nothing's perfected without being tested. And when you're being tested, you ought to be praising God because that means God's perfecting you. We never look at it like that. We always look at the negatives. We feel the pain. We feel the rejection. We feel the hurt. We feel the whatever it is, and we want to focus on the negatives, but we don't see the positive result that's coming out of it. Bad things are going to happen to good people, bad people, sinners, and, and Christians, newborn Christians, old saints, and they're going to happen to the spiritually mature and the spiritually immature. It's going to come to all of us, whether you're black, white, rich, poor. It don't matter if you're filthy rich. I want to tell you, rich people go through trials just like poor people do. Can I have an amen? There is no such thing as this comment that you hear in the body of Christ all the time. Well, no one knows what I'm going to. I want everybody to know, everybody knows what you're going through. Why? Because we're all going through it with you. There's nothing uncommon to man. All things are common. We face the same lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We face the same adversary. The devil hates me just as much as he hates you. Come on, somebody. We all face the same trials. They may be in different packages in different forms. Well, why is it so-and-so's got it so easy and I got it so hard? It may not be that they got it so easy. They're just carrying a, a proper attitude and God's being manifested in their life during the midst of their trial. It's a witness of how strong God is in their life and how strong they are in the Lord. In Matthew 5 and 45, it just tells us that it rains upon the just and the unjust alike. And listen to what Romans 8, 22 and 23 says. And we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Now, why did Paul just say that? He said, hey, right now, and especially in the last days, we've been preaching on that, how God's gonna shake all things and everything that can be shaken can be shaken. Well, it's happening all over the world. The world's in stress. And the whole creation's groaning. It's in stress. It's sitting there. There's pressure upon, and the whole earth, is travailing. He says, not only they, but even us that have the first fruits of the Spirit, even us that have the Holy Ghost, even those of us that are Pentecost don't have power, we moan as well and we travail and we suffer right along with them, waiting for the full redemption of the body because we haven't got the full redemption of the body. We're still living in human flesh. And as long as we're living in human flesh, you're going to have problems. You know what I have found out? The greatest problem that I have is me. 
Amen? Sometimes, have you ever just wanted to do this? Amen? I've done that before. You're so stupid. Come on, somebody. And that's the wrong kind of attitude to have as well. But some of the biggest problems we have is ourselves. Frustration, depression, emotional stress are the leaders of the health consideration of this modern society. I want to tell you, stress is rampant. Depression is over the board. Suicide's running off the charts. Come on, people. We're facing some real dark stuff here. We're in the end time. We better open our eyes. And the reason for this is all this stuff going on is that we've not learned how to have peace in the midst of our problems. Did you know, a matter of fact, there's a doctrine out there today that tells you and teaches you that if you have a problem come your way, and if that problem lasts any time at all, then you don't have any faith. If they, give, they put you on this pedestal where if a problem comes against you, you've got to have enough faith to ward that thing off, and if that thing don't just leave you automatically, automatically then you don't have any faith. Well, I want to tell you something. That is the ministry of condemnation, and it's destructive to the body of Christ, and it's heresy. Because I want you to know, every time a believer, every time a believer faces some kind of a problem with that kind of a doctrine, it makes them think that something's wrong with their faith. Something wrong with me because I'm 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 prey to this. I'm tempted to that. I'm angry. I'm facing this problem. I'm financially insecure. On and on and on. And instead of building faith, that doctrine destroys faith in the believer when he needs it the most. Can I tell you, you don't need faith when everything's going good. You need faith when the pits of hell are coming against you and problems begin to rise up and attack you. Folks, it takes more faith to go through something than it does to be delivered from it. Us Pentecostals, we like to lay hands in deliverance, and I believe in that, and it happens. But I want to tell you something. The person that's delivered there of a certain thing and a person standing right beside them and maybe get the same people praying over them, using the same oil, the same circumstances and everything, and they're not delivered, that does not mean that one had more faith than that one. But I want you to know that God's saying to this one, I'm not fully, completely done with what that work needs to be accomplished, so I'm gonna allow you for a season to continually go through what you're going through, but it's gonna take more faith for you than it does for that one because you're going through the fire. Some are delivered from the fire, but some are delivered through the fire. Can I have an amen? So I'm helping somebody here today, Emma, because we're facing some hideous stuff. We're going through a lot of things. I don't understand why somebody can come up here and they maybe both have cancer. One's healed just like that and the other one's struggling. The one struggling, that don't mean that they got less faith. It's probably saying, God's saying, I am trusting you more because I believe you got more faith to endure. God will not allow you to be tempted or tried more than you're able to bear, period. And sometimes when the load seems heavy, you ought to rejoice because God's trusting you with that load. He knows your structure. He knows your strength. He knows your ability. He knows what you can carry. He knows how much you can endure. He knows how long you can go. And when God keeps allowing you to go through it, it means that God's got a lot of confidence in you. He's not there to torment you, but he's to show you really what you're made out of. Hallelujah. Ah, somebody ought to shout in this house. Problem sometimes is better for us than to be void of the problem. Have you ever thought of that? I'm not gonna get done with this sermon. I got 40 more pages. Oh, I'm enjoying it. But the truth of the matter is, problem sometimes is better for us than to be void of the problem. How many knows the scripture there in our text? 
where it says, and my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Beautiful scripture, isn't it? Here's how we quote that. If I need deliverances, God's gonna give me deliverance. If I need finances, God's gonna give me finances. If I need healing, God's gonna give me healing. All those are true. You don't take that, that's not taking that scripture out of context at all. If I need a healing, God's a healer. If I need deliverance, God's delivering. But if I need a need, God will supply my need. If I'm slothful, full of apathy, cold, indifferent, lukewarm, complacent, how many's ever been there? I got a bunch of liars in this house. How many has just really been a little bit stubborn, hard-headed, disobedient and so instead of God coming down and doing these great marvelous deliverances you know what he does he'll send a need need will get your attention can I have an amen problems will get your attention and everybody thinks sometimes oh the devil's attacking me when God's allowed the assignment to happen to your life for a purpose so he can work a greater, far more greater work in you because he can't work in you the way you're at and where you're at and the way you positioned yourself. So he's got to change that position by challenging you through a problem. And he sends the problems along. And so in these last days, I don't want to be a preacher of doom and gloom because I'm a very, try to be an upbeat preacher in this time of great difficulty that's coming upon the earth, the great shakening. But why is the shakening coming? Why is the world falling apart? All around, guys, this is not a United States thing. This is a global thing. I'm telling you, the world is in turmoil. Look at the news and it'll depress you. Why is it happening? Because that's the only way that God can send a global revival. Amen. It's bad times it causes people to fall on their knees. It's troublesome times it causes people to humble. It's, it's those trying times, those difficulties. You know, everything's going fine. You're not praying much, but let that little child get a fever brow and see how much you'll pray. Let them get the diagnosis of something wrong. You're saying, you mean God afflicts people for that? God allows it to happen for a reason. And sometimes he'll sit back and let you go through your season of suffering until he sees that that suffering has worked the kind of work that he wanted it to work, and then he'll deliver you from it. Can I have an amen? Oh, you're being quiet with me right now. But problems sometimes build more character in our lives and teach us more about stability than what deliverance ever could. And it creates, and it, is, and it creates, or it is certain, let me say, to really reveal who and what we are. I don't even know who I am until I'm tested. I used to like, back in the 1970s and 80s, when I was a little boy, I used to laugh at this commercial. They'd get a pair of men's underwear out called Hanes, and they'd, uh, Fruit of the Loon, and that this old lady, she'd get them and she'd stretch them and she'd pull at them. They'd go back, she said, and they'd talk to that old lady, would do everything in the world, try to destroy them. And then if they passed the test of the old lady, then they, they were okay to, for, for a man to buy. They, would, they, were, they were strong and they were endurable and all that kind of thing. I want to tell you, sometimes I feel like God allows the enemy to come by and just stretch me and pull at me. Come on, somebody. Some of you are being stretched. Some of you are being pulled out. I had a toy when I was a little boy called Stretch Armstrong. I'd put my foot on one of his arms and 
pull, and them arms get that long. And sometimes I feel like my arms are 400 miles long because the enemy has stretched me out of proportion. But I can tell you this, the more I stretch, the more I'm broadening my tent stakes, and the larger I become, the more God can inhabit my house. Amen. He's stretching us. Ah. Oh, Holy Ghost, help me right here. James chapter one reveals to us the problems cause patience. Patience causes perfection, and perfection causes us to want nothing. We find peace in that, that we're satisfied no matter what place we're in. And how many knows that patience is hard? How many lack patience? Raise your hand, really, at times. How many lack patience? I feel sorry for you because tribulation worketh patience. In other words, get ready for tribulation because it's going to teach you patience. That's how you learn patience. Some of you wouldn't raise your hand because you knew that scripture. <laughs> James 1, 3, and 4 says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that you be imperfect and tire wanting nothing. 1 Peter 5 and 10 says, but the God of all grace has called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that you have suffered a while, say suffered a while, He'll make you perfect, established, and strengthen and settle you. So how does he establish us? How does he strengthen us? How does he settle us? By allowing us to go through a season of suffering. Oh, no one wants to hear that. I got taught when I was a little boy that, man, if you'll just run to Jesus and accept him as Savior, everything will be okay. Well, it will be in an eternal sense. I want to tell you something. I found out my problems didn't go away when I got saved. Oh, hello. You said, well, you're not encouraging people to really accept Jesus then. Oh, yeah, I will before the sermon's up if I get through with it. If not, you'll have to come out and hear me preach again. Amen. But problems is the substance that's needed in order to experience peace. You know, there would be no need for peace if there weren't any problems. And there would be no need of faith if we were never tried. And there's no way to avoid problems and live free of strife or free of trouble. It's coming to every life. Job 14 and 1, I use this in a lot of my funeral messages. You've heard me where Job said, man that's born of a woman is a few days at short, but it's full of trouble. If anybody knew about trouble, Job did. And I don't know if I'm going to get that for in my message because it's way on down in my notes. Job knew all about trouble. And let me just stop, and I'll probably reiterate if I get there, but Job was a perfect man, one that assureth evil and was perfect in his generation. But he knew all about trouble. Amen? The question isn't how to create a problemless life because they're going to come to every life. Problems are going to come to every church. You know, everybody says, uh, this one old lady one time said, I'm looking for a perfect church. And the pastor said, well, are you planning on coming here? And she said, yes, and said, well, it won't be perfect anymore. There's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect pastor. Come on, why? It's called flesh. It's called humanity. Wherever humanity's at, we got a way of messing everything up, don't we? But I want you to know the real issue is that the believer has to face what the believer has to face is how to handle the problems. There's no reason that problems should devastate us. 
Look at your neighbor and say, problems should never devastate you. You're a believer. There's no reason why that problems handles us instead of us handling the problem. I want you to know, I may not be able to control everything that the problem dishes out, but I sure can handle anything that comes against me and I, and I can handle how I react to it. Because how I react to it is whether or not I'm gonna get victory over that thing and how fast I'm gonna get victory over that thing. Some people have to go through a long season because it, you know, they just ain't learned their lesson. And some learned their lesson real short. My son Jonathan, he knew, he knew how to work me. Old Ben, he, him and Sam, they kind of toughen up like that when I'm gonna give them a whipping. And it's, it's just like they're defiant of me. I'm not gonna cry. And it makes me just wanna pour it on them that much more. That old attitude. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? And old John, before you walk in the room, oh, 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 I'm sorry, Dad. And he's bawling, squalling. And one day it really ticked me off. I walked in the room and I heard him telling Ben, Ben, if you'll just kind of cry before he gets in here, you'll get a lot less stripes. <laughs> you know what I say? I'm a sucker. Put it on my forehead. The truth of the matter is we try to play those games with God, but God sees the very intent and the makeup and the structure of your life. And God, God's not out to harm you in your dilemmas. God's not out to destroy. God's not letting the devil have a heyday with you. You're, you're not the devil's throw mat. You're God's chosen possession. And all he's doing is polishing you. Guys, I'm not gonna get through my sermon. I just feel the Holy Spirit right here. You know, when you're, when you're ship of old Zion, you know, we're a part of the ship of Zion. When it's taken on water, it ain't gonna sink. He's just putting enough water on the decks to wash it. He's cleansing us up. And those of you that are going through the heat of your persecution and you don't feel God anywhere around, I want you to know right in the midst of that problem, he's standing there right with you. Can I have an amen? Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can face anything. The word strengthen in this passage denotes weakness and stress. It wasn't, if it wasn't for the problems, I would never experience the undergirding strength of God. Amen. We all want the power of God to be manifested, but we don't want the reason why it is manifested. Because if God's power is manifested, it means that it's con it is combating something negative in your life. We want the power without the negative experience. It don't happen that way. And I want you to know, I want the power of God. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. He said, and my grace is sufficient for thee, God speaking to Paul, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now listen to what Paul says right here. It was Christ that said to Paul that my strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. And this is when Christ can reveal himself like never before. Problems is nothing more, write this down, than opportunities for us to experience the power of God. That's all problems is, is an opportunity for us to experience the presence of God. Don't know what season or when. Some are short, some are long. Have you ever been in a short season, medium season, a long season? I get tickled at those that are in the long seasons. They've only been in it four months, and they say, I ain't felt God in two years. Well, that's not true. 
We over-exaggerate our problems, and I'm, that's one of the points way down the line. Never get to this point, but you've got to have a proper attitude towards your, your problem. Don't make, a prob- don't make a mountain out of an anthill. Can I have an amen? I wish I could preach on that just a little while. I might do it. But problems are nothing more than opportunities for us to experience the power of God. Then it was Paul that answered this, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Look at Paul's attitude. I gladly then face my infirmities so I can experience and see the grace and the strength and the power of God working and undergirding in me. Hebrews 10 tells us that the early church faced great fights of afflictions. And you know what Psalms 34, 19 says? Many, say many, are the afflictions of the righteous, say righteous. Did you catch that? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God shall deliver us from them all. They're only designed for a short season. It come to pass. Nothing comes to stay in the life of a child of God. Listen to what Paul says in verse 10 in 2 Corinthians 12. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in dilemma, in distress, in sickness for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, how many of you come in here today? Praise God, I got an infirmity. Pastor, can I testify? I got a sickness. Why are you laughing about it? That's what Paul did. He said, listen to what he said. I take pleasure in my infirmity. I recognize for what it is. Number two, there's two things that it represents. The devil hates me. He's trying to afflict me. He's trying to kill him, so I must have something he don't have. And number two, it means that God ain't done working on me yet. There's some sharp edges he's getting out of me. So I greatly rejoice that he ain't abandoned me. He's still working on me. He's still looking at me. He's still observing me. He's still, he's not gave up. He's not discarded me. He's not put me on a shelf. He's, I'm a process in work. Can you imagine the apostle Paul saying, I'm a process in work. If he's a process in work, dear God, I... I've just, I've just started. Amen? I love how God continually contends for us, nurtures us and loves us. Paul took pleasure in his infirmities because he knew that it was through those infirmities that he was at his strongest point. He knew God was at work in his life. Paul did not look at problems as a lack of faith, but he looked at problems as that God trusted him with faith. And Paul did not look at problems and difficulties as weakness, but he looked at them as a time of strength. That's odd. God doesn't allow problems to come to people to destroy their faith, but rather he allows the problems to come so faith can be exercised and enhanced. Excuse me. Paul had to learn stability and faith. It just didn't happen naturally. Don't you wish that you could get saved and all of a sudden, boom, I'm mature. I wish some of my... Kids, Ben, John, and Sam could have matured fast. You know how they matured? Through discipline, grounding, spanking, loving, unconditionally. Come on. And a lot of times we come into the here and we want to get saved. We want instant maturity. But listen to what Paul said in verse 11. I have learned. Say learned. I have learned whatsoever state I'm in to be content. It didn't come natural. It isn't easy. It didn't say it would be easy. 
Pastor, you don't understand. Yeah, I do. Paul said he had to learn it. You know, Paul tripped up sometimes. You're gonna trip up. It's a learning process. When my kids tripped up, did I get them and throw them out of the house and never come back? No, I, I loved them through it. And that's what God's doing with us. God's loving us through the process. And it is a process, but we're learning each day that we grow. Faith is like many elements of your mind. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. Amen. We all have a measure of faith given to us according to the Bible, but we're to build up our most holy faith. How? By praying in the Holy Ghost, Jude verse 20. By faith coming by hearing and hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Well, you gotta build your faith. Your faith must mature. It must grow. We hear people all the time say, God doesn't get any glory out of your trials and out of your sufferings and out of your problems and out of your need. You got a lack of faith. It sounds good. It sounds great preaching, but it's not true. We hear people all the time preaching a doctrine that says, uh, if you're suffering, you're not in the will of God. If you're suffering financially, if you're suffering physically, if you're suffering spiritually, that ain't the will of God for your life. You know, all you've done then is say, I'm more mightier and higher than you are, and you know what? You've got a lack of faith, and that's the reason you're in the shape that you're in. It's condemnation. And you know what? You're gonna eat your words. Because just wait when you get sick then that same person well where's your faith sister amen have you ever wanted to do that to somebody you know sometimes my flesh gets the best of me years ago when John was having problems with his lungs they only give him a few years to live said no one has ever lived I think it was past five years with the disease that he had he lived with it for how long John 20 some years before you got your transplant unbelievable Miracle. God sustained him, but he, he suffered. He went through some things, hard things. Never could understand why he wasn't healed. And one night I was praying and God said, do not bring this matter before me no longer. I've t- I'm taking care of it. I prayed for 20 some years for the man. God one day just said, don't pray no longer. It's done. It's a finished deal. I told John and John thought, oh man, don't quit praying for me. But when he was in his worst moment, we went by this business in town and got a barbecue and there was this guy behind the counter and he asked John what was wrong with him because you know there was evidence that there was things wrong. And John told him, and man, he said in on John, well, man, if you had faith, if you'd come to our church, and we had a little bitty mission somewhere, up there and said, that's what's wrong with the world. It's because no one's teaching good doctrine. You gotta have faith. You shouldn't be going through. That's not the will of God. For you. And on and on and on and on. Just beating him up and blitzing him. I, was, I heard him and I was on the other side of the room. And I thought, oh buddy, I'm fixing to come and clean your clock. I know enough of the scripture. Me and you will have a debate right here and right now. And by the time I left where the milk thing was to get up there, God kind of calmed me down a little bit. He got a hold of me and said, this ain't proper. This ain't the, don't, don't stoop to his level. But I want to, God. So we get in the car. I told John, John, don't pay any attention. Oh, I don't pay no attention. I get that. I'll, you know, John, I'm, I'm more sensible to know scripture better than that. A few years later, that man came down with cancer. Lost everything that he had. And I walked in and... I wanted to say to him, where's your faith? But instead, I reached out with him and braced him, started crying. Let me pray with you, brother.
Let me pray with you. And I pray for God to heal him, to God to touch him, to God to love on him. And you know, one of the things that you gotta understand is that these problems really come to life. They're, they're real. Romans 8 and 17 and 18 says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Jesus Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified with him. Listen to what Paul acknowledges in verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings, say sufferings, of this present time are not worthy to be compared, with, compared to the eternal weight of glory that shall be revealed in us. The sufferings will cause God's glory to be revealed in us. Amen? We've been asking for the glory of God. Woo, how many wants the glory of God to fall? Come on, how many wants the glory of God to fall? You're hesitant because you know what? It's going to come by the way of suffering. Woo, Moses seen the glory of God, but he didn't see it in the palace. He seen it on the backside of a desert with a bunch of stinking sheep. Can I have an amen? And you and I are going to have to understand that the heavier and the darker the times come, the more it is God's ability to work his work in you, to bring you to a state of maturity. I'm gonna have to close because I just feel I'm preaching. I got plenty of more time, but I just feel the Holy Spirit here. There's about five things that you gotta keep a proper attitude in the midst of your problem. Number one, we gotta keep a proper attitude toward ourselves and toward one another. Jesus said, this is how I know that you're my disciples by the love you had one to another. In difficult times, it's not a time to be accusing brethren and fighting with brethren and bickering and having a lack of unity because problems can cause tension. Amen? Disagreements can cause tension. Situations can cause uh, tension and fighting and feuding and, and you, you can't have God operating in an environment like that. The way that you handle it is by disciplining yourself getting your right mind, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, denouncing those things that make you want to flare up in the flesh and put them under subjection to the will of God and declare and speak openly with your mouth the word of God. That's what you've got to do. You know what I have learned? That if I really want to say something, I need to say the opposite because the flesh is wanting to, everything the flesh wants me to do, it's wrong. So therefore, I better be saying exactly the opposite of what that flesh is prompting me to do. Can I have an amen? There's been times when Jenny said something and I reacted in the flesh and oh, I wished I would have listened and obeyed in the spirit because by acting in the flesh, there's far more a greater consequence than if you'd act in the spirit. How'd you like to go without food at night? Or sleep on the couch? No, thank you. That's right. And some of you understand what I'm talking about. We got to have a proper attitude towards one another. We're to prefer one another. We're to love one another. Be patient one with another. And you know what? The stronger to bear up the weak, but we're afraid to get around the weak because we don't like to hear their griping and their moaning and complaining. That's why we're supposed to be there. Hello? Number two, we got to have a proper attitude toward ourselves. You can't, you can't, you cannot advance if you don't see who you are in Christ. Oh, I know who I am in the flesh. I'm a nobody, I'm a dummy, I'm a stupid. I can say all that I want in the flesh. But I know who I am in the spirit. I'm a mighty David, I'm a mighty triumpher. I'm a victor. I am, I am the son of the living God. I, 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 I'm God's son. 
Can I have an amen? And, and we've been taught so wrong in the body of Christ. Oh, Lord, don't let me ramble. Mm. But what we're sitting in this stage where we hear all the time, it's God, it's family, it's church, it's, it's uh, friends and, and your neighbor, then you're last. That's so contrary to scripture. Because I want to tell you what God showed me one time, a long time ago in my studies. Where I was going wrong, I was always putting myself last. Yes, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. Yes, I understand those scriptures. But I also know this, that if I'm not right, it don't matter who I prefer before me, everything's gonna be wrong. If Kent Miller ain't happy, nobody's gonna be happy. Because I'm gonna mess things up. If I don't have a proper alignment, if I'm not in proper alignment with God, and if everything ain't where it needs to be and I'm positioned in the place that I need to be positioned, I don't care how much I put Jenny first, I don't care how much I put my family first, it's always gonna be wrong, it's, gonna, it's not going to be effective. It's all, why? Because until I get right, nothing around me is right. And you got to get yourself right. So you got to have a proper attitude towards yourself. And you got to quit this stuff. Of, well, I'm a nobody. I'm always upset. Every time I turn around, I'm having this crisis. And you know what? God hates murmuring. God hates complaining. He hates griping. He hates even, the, he hates all that stuff. He wants people to act out in faith. Faith believing. The second thing, you got to have a proper attitude toward God. We say that we don't get mad at God, but we do. I've been mad at God. Have you ever been mad at God? He don't know. He pleads the fifth. He don't want to admit it, but I have. I bet there's been times I've been, God, I don't understand. God sits up and says, boy, I got a lot of work to do on you, boy. You know, he don't pick me up by the head. I don't like that. Throw me out of the, come on. I ain't the kind of God we serve. But there's been times that the children of Israel mad at God. And you know, a lot of times the way we show it, Paul in that scripture, I wish I could dissect every one of those verses, guys. If you look at it, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then Paul again in that same scripture says, do what I do by what I have learned. Let me show it unto you. He said, I had to learn it. Now you gotta learn it. Because this didn't come natural for me. It was a hard thing to do, but I've learned it. I've learned this part of it. I've learned to no matter what state I'm in to be content, whether I be abased or whether I be about, whether I suffer need or whether I have plenty, whether I'm hungry or where I'm thirsty. Paul was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was thrown in jail. And sometimes he didn't even have enough money to do ministry. He made tents. He done it all. But yet here he is in the Philippi jail saying, rejoice in the Lord always in a double emphasis. And again, let me remind you, I say Rejoice. First Thessalonians 5, 7, rejoice evermore. Psalmist said, he said, I want the praises of my mouth continually be upon the Lord. I will praise him continually. Out of my mouth shall flow blessings and praise and honor and glory. Oh, I wish I could take you through the life of Job. Oh, it's so great what he reveals in his life. I don't have the time this morning, but listen to me. Our worship is a big sign of how we treat God. Come here haphazardly, unprepared, flop down, nonchalant. I love you, Lord. Some of us don't even lift our hands. Some of us don't even worship. We just put our hands on the back of the seat saying, man, I'll be glad when this worship service is over. <laughs> 
Some of us don't even get here until worship is over. It's a reflection of how we're treating God. Because the word worship means worthyship. He's worthy to be worshiped. I'm getting heavy here. We come in and got the cares of life on. We got, man, I got the speedboat waiting and the skis are waiting and, and the, oh man, and the fish that's up there at Crab and Company's is waiting on me and when I get done eating that fish, I'm going to the lake and this preacher's long-winded. Hang with me a little longer and I'll make you just forget about your fish. I'm doing more meddling, buddy. I'm barging right in. And yet, Paul, uh, the Hebrews tells us, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips. Continually. And to do good and communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. And we come in here, one thing God just dropped in my spirit before I got here this morning and Jenny was reading her devotion that she had and she said, why is it? And I thought, man, that goes right along with my message. She says, look at what God said in the book of Malachi when they were all upset at God. said, well, what have I ever done to you? Why am I getting the blame for everything? Let me ask you, what has God ever done bad, what has God ever done bad for you? Then he tells him, man, I led you out of Egypt and I put you through the wilderness and I provided a, a fire by nine, a cloud by day. I put clothes upon you that wouldn't wear out for 40 years. I bankrupt the malls. Come on, he's a good God. What have I ever done to deserve you not worshiping me? What have I ever done for you to deserve you to be cold-shouldered? What have I ever done for you to come in a, in a callous attitude and, and come in carelessly and recklessly spiritually and flop down and treat me as nothing? What have I done to you? We are to enter in his gates with thanksgiving. We are to enter in his courts with praise. And we are to be thankful and bless his holy name. We pull on the parking lot, we should be praising him. How many of us really do that? How many of y'all get out of your car, woo, praise the name of the Lord. And then when you come into the courts, the sanctuary, hallelujah. Thank you. Praise God. This is what the Holy Spirit dropped in my, wanted me to challenge you with this morning. I'll close with it. What would happen if God would immediately appear what it looked like in human flesh as a man and stood before you this morning in this congregation? How would your reaction be different? How would you have treated the song service this morning differently? It's heavy right now. That was challenging to me as well to think if God would just humanly appear, boom, and set through the surface, how would this service be different? And yet, though he's not appeared, he's here. Would you stand with me, please? you got a difficult going on in your life, I want you to know that God loves you. I love you. No one's judging you around here for having a dilemma, a problem a long time, saying, well, you don't have no faith. 
That's not true. I admire you. There's been long seasons in my life of trial. There's been short seasons. And then there's been mountaintop experiences where I've lived in the bliss of glory. But you, you can't maintain that. You can't stay in that. We want a perpetual revival. But revival is not always pictured as a mountaintop experience. Sometimes it's, it's a valley battle. But it's still revival. You're still whipping the enemy while you're in the valley. That's a revival. And then you get rewarded for those mountaintop experiences, you know, those times of refreshing, those times of, you know, just bless, blessings and, and just overwhelming grace. But, you know, when, one thing I learned when I went out west, especially in the Rockies, there's what they call the snake line. It's also called the tree line where nothing grows above that tree line. You're not growing up on those mountaintops. You're just being refreshed and blessed. Your real growth happens down in those valleys. And number two, there are times that God pulls us above the snake line to give us rest where Satan can't touch us. But then there's times when we're in the valley, there's real snakes down there. There's serpents. There's fiery darts. There's an adversary. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And while you're in the midst of your problems, you gotta have a proper attitude towards yourself and toward one another. You have a proper attitude towards God. You have a proper attitude towards your mountain. You have a proper attitude towards prayer. And then you got to have a proper attitude towards the promises of God. If I could have finished, that would have been all five of my points. How many believes in the promises of God that he'll never leave you nor would he ever forsake you? Do you believe it? Do you really believe Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and to them who are they called according to his... You really believe that? That's a promise of God. There's all kinds of promises in God. Did you know the scripture tells us you're graven in the palm of his hands and no man's able to pluck you out. Oh, what a promise. Jesus said, I know my sheep. I know them by name and they know me and they hear my voice and a stranger they're not gonna follow. And I'll keep my sheep's what he says. No man's able to pluck them out of my hands either. What a promise. Guys, they... If we will keep a proper attitude, I love the scripture in 2 Timothy where Paul says, I have suffered these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed in and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul said, I have suffered. I have battled. I have went through a lot, but I'm not ashamed of that because I know whom I put my trust in. I know that he's able to keep what I've committed to. How many he's saved? Then you're committing your life to him. He's able to keep that. He's able to preserve you. The only difference is, Paul went on to say, if we suffer with him, we shall also be raised with him. But if we deny him in the midst of problems, if we reject him and walk away from him, he'll also deny us. We gotta keep a proper attitude in the midst of problems. Regardless of what's coming on, you can rejoice. Nothing's going to take you out if you keep a proper attitude. The only way that you're going to be destroyed in your problem is if you allow your attitude to get sour and you walk out on God and denounce him. That is the only way that you're going to be destroyed. But if I'm going through the heavy load temptation manifold, the Bible says in 1 Peter, if need be, he will allow you to go through manifold, divers, many different kinds of temptations. 
And if it's needful, and if I'll keep a proper attitude and I'll pass the test, I'll come out, I'll have my moments on the mountaintop. But God's working a far more greater work in me than what I can ever imagine. It's for my own good. He's doing something. I don't see it, I don't understand it. Lynn Kinsey one time, she, I don't know if she remembered this, she sung at her grandmother's funeral. If I remember, it was a grandmother. I think it was one of her family members. And somebody afterwards come up to her and said, how in the world did you do that? And she said, honey, sometimes you gotta just pull down your emotions, muster it up and do what's right. And I thought, boy, girl, you do not know what you just said. How true it is. Sometimes you gotta pull down your emotions or what your flesh is dictating, pull it under subjection and say, I feel this, I wanna do this. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to weigh it out. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to muster it up in the faith. And I'm going to keep a proper attitude. I'm going to watch God work on my behalf. If you've got a problem here this morning, I want you to do two things. I want you to present it to the Lord with all things, with prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's what Paul told us to do. He told us to petition it. Bring it before the throne and keep doing that until it's finished. And after you petition God from it, then just begin to praise him for his eternal work that he's doing in you and say, okay, God, whenever you're through, I'll be ready to be through. But until then, I praise you for what you're doing in my Look at it in a positive and not a negative. God's working for a more greater work of eternal glory in you than what you can ever even imagine. Amen. Would you come this morning? Come on, present your needs. Present your doing it. Come on. I know I'm not the only one going through the fire right now. This whole world's going through the fire. Just bring, bring it up here and just stand before the Lord and start petitioning saying, God, I, this is my need. This is what I feel. This is what I'm going through. I feel lonely. I feel discouraged. I feel depressed. I'm bankrupt, God. I'm sick. I've got, I've got uh, uh, arthritis that's bothering me. Whatever it is, just bring it before the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm discouraged. My faith is being fought. I'm going through the fire, God. In the name of Jesus. Lord, help this congregation. Now I need my, my staff come in behind these people. Undergird them. Have the proper respect and the proper love one for another. And when your brother or your sister's in need, help them through that need. Help them to press through. Help them to pray. And magnify the Lord with them over their dilemma. Come on, I need some prayer workers. Hallelujah. Lord, have your way in this house. Have your way in this house. Mighty God, have your way. Can I have some more ladies up here praying, please? I need some prayer warriors. I need some people to know how to get a hold of God. Lay hands upon the people. Encourage them. Right here, there's victory in the name of Jesus. People, no one should be standing alone. No one should be standing alone. We need a brother or sister by every couple, by every person. Come on, Deanna. God's been with you all these years. You're special. He's not forgotten you. He's not abandoning you. He knows where you're at. He knows your name. Your name is written in the book of life. He cares. He understands. He knows what you're going through. Submit it to him and praise him for it in the name of Jesus.
Hallelujah. Yes. Yes.
Now let me ask you a question in closing. Do I got a group of people out there that can agree with these people concerning anything on their life? If so, give the Lord a hand clap, a shout of praise. Hallelujah, yes, we're with them. We agree with you guys. Everything that concerns you, this congregation's in agreement and we offer the club offering of praise to God, which means we're in agreement to what you said. Hallelujah. God bless you. Come out tonight. We're going to have a wonderful service. Don't forget about men's rally Friday night. Invite a lot of guys. We love you. God bless you.